Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Origins. You're tuned in to our nationwide search for entrepreneurs that have a story to tell. And joining us virtually in the studio, I've got an entrepreneur that wants to do just that. From Denver, Colorado, I've got Kevin Sherman with Tractor Beverage Company. Kevin, welcome to the show. Great to meet you, John. Thanks for inviting me on. Nice to meet you, too. I always enjoy our conversations before the episode where we kind of get things kicked off and get acquainted with each other. Seems like this is going to be a great conversation, and I'm so excited to hop into it. But as our listeners know, we always start out with an icebreaker question here. Today's icebreaker question is, what is your favorite sport to watch? You know, um, this is this is always a tough question because the sport that I'm going to mention people cringe at, but I am a huge uh, fan of MMA specifically. I just love it. Um, one of my good friends, um, Mike Straka, was one of the leading broadcasters in MMA. I went to, into high school with him, and I kind of followed his career. And um, you know, he's just—he's uh, absolutely—he's uh, amazing. So through him, following him, obviously, I just started man watching that sport. Uh, I haven't done martial arts myself. Um, it's just something that I just think. Um, it's a sport, man. They're just hitting a new level of just kind of athletic prowess. So love it. Love that sport. Man, I, I love MMA as well. I don't follow it super close or anything, but there's nothing like watching a good MMA fight. Everything from friends of mine that I have that are like local doing the um, I mean, they're, it's big, you know, like legacy MMA, which is uh, kind of a, a local thing that feeds into the UFC and they have shows here in Houston. I got to do EMS standby for that a few times, which is awesome because it's ringside seats. You know, you're in front of all of the audience right behind the doctors next to the ring watching these fighters in there. It's unreal what they put their bodies through and what they go through. And I had a really cool experience, man. Chuck, the Iceman Liddell. I was in Los Angeles visiting on kind of a work vacation type thing. My wife was working. I got to have fun. And we had a couple of us that were on that trip together. You know, the girls were working, uh, going to this vacation for the city that I work for. And then the guys who were on the fire department, we got to just hang out and just travel L.A. and just see what there was to do around there and stuff. And then at night when they were done with their classes, we would all hang out together and then just kind of go see what L.A. had to offer, get to tour it, that kind of thing. And we're in the middle of this like little picture place where you go take selfies and all these little setup areas. And uh, look over and it's like, there's Chuck Liddell. Like, this is really cool, you know, and he was with his family. I didn't want to be a douche. So, yeah. you know, I was like, hey, look, I'm sorry. I'm not going to bug you or anything, but you're my favorite MMA fighter. I've always been a fan of you. Can I just grab a quick picture with you? And he was like, dude, come on. Yeah. And so I took a picture with him and I still have that picture on my social media and stuff today because it was just a cool experience. Really nice guy love MMA. I'm a big football fan myself. And I know that's so cliche to say, but uh, I actually don't really watch the NFL anymore. If you follow the Houston Texans, first of all, I'm sorry. Uh, second of all, it's just, it's been a garbage team that I've been into since 2001. And I got tired of hoping they were going to finally do something. 
I know that that horse is dead. The management's terrible. The choices that they make in players are terrible. So I gave up on them. But if you haven't heard of the XFL, huge fan of the XFL. Uh, I've got season tickets to the Houston Roughnecks, much better team than the Texans as far as their league, you know, within their league, of course. Um, and so it's been a great experience there. Nice front row seats, 30 yard line, get to take my kid, my friends, that kind of stuff. I just, I really enjoy football and it gave me the opportunity to follow a team that at least is earning their place within their league and, uh, gives us something to cheer for every single time. The management's great. The ownership, you know, Dwayne, the rock Johnson, his ex-wife, uh, Danny, incredible story. I would just die if I could get them on the show to just talk about it. But yeah, that's the sport that I follow probably the most hardcore. I would say baseball is a close second. Yeah. You know, who's, who's not a fan of the Houston Astros, except oh, everyone man. that's not in Houston. Looks like they're going to, they're going to repeat again. I think again, all the haters line up. It just fuels my fire. I love it. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a great team to watch for sure. Dynasty. I would say. Yeah, speaking of football, you know, here I am in Denver and, uh, you know, Dion is the rage here in all of Colorado. So watching what he's doing with the Colorado, with the Buffs, um, is going to be pretty amazing. But um, just watching that closely, too, I think that, like you said, the XFL, collegiate football, I mean, there's just so much passion in those guys, man. So yep. Awesome. Player player 54, you know, the, the ones that always get cut and they come to the XFL with a chip on their shoulder ready to kill it. That's right. And uh there's there's quite a few teams that are doing extremely well. But yeah, man, Denver Broncos, I remember back in their heyday, I was a, a huge fan of that team as well. Just some of the stuff that they were doing out there was absolutely amazing. When I was growing up as a kid, you know, I just watch them and just enjoy every single second of it. So I think every team's kind of had their heyday, minus the Texans, unfortunately. <laughs> but we're here to talk about you, Kevin. So just you know, tell us where you came from, how you got into entrepreneurship. What's your origin story? So um, I'm going to kind of go fast because it is a winding story, but I think, and I'll, and I'll let you kind of pull out where you see it's uh, it's um, important. Um, look, you know, um, I grew up in a kind of a hard scrabble life. Um, you know, parents, um, I had some illnesses in my family. Parents didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, I was kind of faced at an early age, um, to, uh, you know, pay for college if I was going to go to college. So, you know, I actually started a business. Um, my, that's kind of my, my entree into entrepreneurship. I started a business, a landscaping business, a painting business to basically pay for college. And then also my mom came down with cancer. So I had to help her pay for the mortgage of her house. So I was doing that while I was going to school. Um, so, you know, that was like the bug. It was just being able to kind of own the destiny and not work for someone and make some more money, you know, working long hours, obviously every weekend, sometimes late at night. Um, so I went to college, um, got a degree in philosophy. What do you do with a degree in philosophy? Not much. Um, I got a degree in philosophy. Um, and then I started working at Fidelity Investments in Boston um, only lasted there for a short time. It just, it wasn't me. You know, I was young. I was like, man, being in a suit and a tie sitting in an office in a cubicle, I was just like, I'm just, this isn't me. Didn't want to do it. So made a big pivot and then, um, decided that I wanted to, I read some books about kind of inner city education of all things. I just was really intrigued by inner city education, kind of the urban plight. Um, didn't have a degree in education. So I got on my, uh, a Jeep that I rebuilt and I drove out West leaving Boston, never been out West, um, landed on the Apache Indian reservation in New Mexico, 
spent a year teaching out there with the Apaches, was an awesome experience, probably one of the most incredible experiences of my life as a teacher out there. Um, and then from there, and I'm going to speed this up, you know, I went to South Central Los Angeles, which was kind of the Watts district of Los Angeles. Um, and then, um, you know, lo and behold, the next, call it nine years, I spent nine years in education in that South Central area. So everything from, you know, Watts to Wilmington, um, East Long Beach, that whole area. Was a teacher, um, became a principal, one of the youngest principals in LA at the time, um, and then developed a literacy center for latchkey children in the projects, um, trying to get them, um, you know, trained in uh, in literacy. Spent my summers in Africa, building schools for girls in Uganda and uh, Tanzania, teacher training programs. Then I left education after about nine, ten years, and I went back into business. I went back into business. Um, Worked for a company everybody knows, Beachbody, P90X, um, you know, was one of uh, one of the, um, you know, I think I was under like the first 100 hires, I think. Um, and, you know, just being in that environment and watching um, the entrepreneur that is Carl Deichler, he's the CEO of the company, that had a huge influence on me because he was just so tenacious and he ended up building an empire. Everyone knows P90X. Um, and just really paid kind of close attention to how he kind of approached business and life. And that was really the catalyst for me to be like, you know what, I don't really want to work in a situation where I don't have an equity stake, like that I don't have ownership in it. So I left Beachbody. I'm grateful for my time there. And then um, got involved with, and I'm going to speed this up, you know, got involved with a, a small beverage company in, uh, in Denver, Colorado. That company... Um, got picked up by private equity. Then I went to another beverage company. Um, we created the first, um, you know, sugar-free beverage for children. That company went on for a, quite a long time. And then um, a couple of years later, I met these founders who created this company in 2014 called Tractor Beverage Company. And um, three founders, one's a farmer, two other entrepreneurs, and they had this great idea of creating an organic non-GMO beverage company. Um, and look, you know, the beverage company is, um, is tough. It's a tough, tough industry to win at. Um, but they just had such a clear vision and such a niche going into the organic non-GMO. Came in as a board member at first, started to advise them, having had a beverage background, um, and then started off as their CMO, helped build that brand. And then about three years ago, became the CEO of Tractor Beverage Company. So I'm speeding that up because there's a lot there to unpack. Um, but yeah, you know, my first entree into entrepreneurship, man, I was forced into working. I had to work. I had to help my mom out um, who passed away and had to pay for everything, had to pay for college. So that hard work and that grit, I wouldn't replace, replace it for the world. Grateful for it. So you're not you're not a founder of tractor. You came into it, which is that's an abnormal from what we normally hear on this show. Anyway, that's an abnormal thing for us, right? We're, we're so used to speaking to people who have a different transition from the full-time job working for someone else to owning a company where they normally kind of go that, that mold of I'm going to start something new, innovative, or redesign the way that someone's doing something. So that's so interesting to hear this perspective, you know, that transition into it. 
Um, I've definitely got some questions there as far as how that transition went, but I do want to hop into real quick just to kind of understand with the non-GMO, the organic. So are these basically healthier sodas or are they just healthier drinks altogether that you're selling? Yeah, it's a good good question. So when you think of our platform, like what what are our offerings? We do have an organic non-GMO soda platform. So we do have a soda. It's all organic, non-GMO. And then we have what's kind of the bulk of our business and the focus of our business is what's kind of called an agua fresca. So yep. you're familiar with agua fresca? So we down got, here in Texas, we got them in every taqueria we visit. Absolutely. You know them, right. So, and then you think about like the refreshers, like refreshers is another big kind of name. You start seeing them in Starbucks and you start thinking, so think of like a fruity flavor. Um, but it, in our case, we have no high fructose corn syrup. We have no, um, you know, preservatives. It's all organic. It's all non-GMO. And look, we're the only ones doing it. We're the only ones doing completely organic, non-GMO, complete label transparency, no preservatives in there. Yeah. So are y'all still uh, creating, you know, sugar and non-sugar, like sugar-free drinks as well in that? Yeah. We don't, we don't have a sugar-free offering. Um, you know, the reality of it is, is anything sugar-free is pretty tough to make taste good, right? Um, we do have lower sugar in things, but um, it's not, we're not sugar-free. We're looking all the time, though, at ways to reduce the sugar. One of our founders, um, you know, Travis Potter, who's a farmer who kind of created all the beverages, he's constantly looking at ways to reduce sugar, um, but we are not sugar-free. Sure. I mean, and not to mention that oftentimes when you start getting into sugar substitutes, there are a lot, especially in the beverage industry, a lot of really harmful sugar substitutes that are being used in these things. So I know obviously it can be a sensitive subject. There's just people like me. I'm not a huge fan of water. You know, I will crave it when I'm severely thirsty and dehydrated and I need something. But ultimately, even when I'm drinking something, you know, at the house or at work, I want to add something to that water, like a Mio drink or, you know, some type of crystal light flavoring. Something has to be in there for some flavor. So I'm always looking for a beverage, especially something that is on the healthier side regarding no high fructose corn syrup, regarding organic non-GMO ingredients, that type of thing. I'm always looking for something that's also low in sugar just because I feel like sugar and sodium are two things in the American diet that are so overdone that you don't need to add sugar or sodium to your food or drink in order to get your daily limit of that. So I try to steer clear of it as much as I can. Plus, we've been on kind of a weight loss journey. You know, I'm at the time of recording this, I'm 15 pounds down. And I've, I've done that with taking the sugar out of the extra sugar out of my diet. You know, it's the the healthy sugars, the healthy carbs are still there, granted a lot lower than, you know, some people like those who go to the gym all the time, which is something I have to do. Um, those people obviously eat normally a higher carb diet, but instead I'm trying to focus on decreasing my sugars and decreasing my overall carb intake, especially simple carbs. So in these beverages, that's something specifically I'm looking for. Lower sugar definitely works though. Sure. You know, as long as we're lowering the amount of sugar, I'm not drinking like 200 milligrams of sugar in one 12 ounce drink. Cause that's the other thing about me is a 12 ounce drink doesn't last me very long. That's <laughs> two, three sips maybe. Yeah. So I'm that like route 44 at Sonic or, uh, you know, big gulp at the seven 11 type guy where I need that like 44 ounce. I don't buy small Arctic's. It's a waste for me Yeah. or Yeti's, you know, if I buy a small Arctic or Yeti, 
again, it's like, okay, so now I'm up to four sips. Maybe you add ice in there. We're back down to two or three. No, I need the big 32 ounce sucker that you need like a handle for, you know? So that's awesome. That is funny. Talking about the transition again into that, what exactly did it look like? I know you briefly went over it, but I'd like to slow that part down, you know, because this is something that I don't think a lot of listeners have heard. And then of course the business owners in our audience may not be familiar with that because there's people like me, I've come from that same, uh, I would say mostly traditional, like it's probably the most common way of, and I may be totally wrong on that, but you know, where you're kind of like the founder, you're the one who came up with this idea, um, the venture capitalist way where you're just investing and owning something or entering into a company organically pun intended, and then moving up through the ranks on the board to CEO and having that equity share is something that I'm not even a hundred percent familiar with. And I would, you know, if you can share this information, I would love to know, you know, kind of the transition between I owned a a few shares and then I owned 20%, 30%, you know, majority share, like whatever that became. I'd love to hear all about that. Yeah. Look, you know, the founders, um, the three founders, um, the, the amazing thing about them is that they possess um, the humility to know that, Look, the beverage industry is really difficult, and they didn't have experience specifically in the industry where I have had experience in the industry, right? Um, also got to know them as friends. And it takes a lot of humility when you're a founder to tap someone on the shoulder to be like, look, we have this awesome idea. We just don't know how to exactly execute on it, um, and we need to bring in the right management team and the right team to do it. Now, because I knew them and I knew what they were doing, I believed so much in their mission. So they tapped me on the shoulder and they said, hey, look, they brought me in first as a board member. And they said, look, we just need some help just kind of forming the whole company in the group. Um, You know, the interesting thing about Tractor specifically, I think they really just needed some grit to be just very just just honest with you. I think that they needed some grit with an entrepreneurial background, someone that understood that you're not going to have all the cash in the world to start this company. You've got to really, really be gritty and you have to have that mindset, right? You have to have the financial grittiness to know that you're not sitting on millions and millions of dollars to start this company. In fact, you know, there was a couple hundred thousand dollars to begin. And then you've got to start then to put the parameters and executing a really hard nosed plan. And, um, you know, look, my background, obviously, in entrepreneurship was something that just fed perfectly into what they needed at the time was just to say, look, we got to we got to look at this and we got to run this super lean. Um, But look, the founders and and again, I go back to this because I think it's really important for everyone to hear on this, especially from an entrepreneurial standpoint. You can have the best idea in the world, but you've got to possess the humility to bring in the right people and the right team, because you can have the best idea. You can have the best product. More important is to just bring in people that have expertise in this area and just be humble enough just to be like, look, man, I need a little help here. Right. I think a lot of problems with a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of founders is they suffer from letting people come in and helping them. And look, I'm just a big believer, man. And like, it does take a team. No one, no one, even the CEO, No one is responsible for success. It takes a team. I can go on for hours about, you know, Tractor is where it is today, making such a dent in the industry, not because of me, not because of the founders, but because of the team. 
we just brought in just awesome people that we kind of set them free and say, man, you got hired, do your work, do your job. I think it's important. I agree with you a hundred percent because it's easy as a founder to have that feeling of being a dreamer and you've got this idea and you know that it's a good idea. You know that it's going to work and you've got the intelligence to make it happen at a base level, but maybe not the expertise in all areas in order to make it happen the best way possible. And that's something that we do here at Beefy Marketing really well is I know my strengths and weaknesses and every member on our team knows their strengths and weaknesses. So why in the world would the CEO try to handle something that I'm better at or that Kara's better at or that the other John is better at? Why not punt that over to them and say, hey, you're the expert in doing X, Y, Z, get it done. John, I wish you could repeat that because I really feel like you just literally, I think you encapsulated what I think is the most difficult thing in just business period, right? Is allowing people to do their job, right? Hire the talent, hire the professionals, stand back and let them do their job. Too often CEOs want to micromanage everything. And my point is, is like, why are you hiring the people then? (laughs) Exactly. You're hiring a talent to let them. And my thing is, let them fail. Allow them to fail to learn and there's nothing punitive in failing. Let them fail. It's okay. But bring in the talent, bring in the people. You know, I just want to just comment one more thing on, on kind of the founders. It's pretty amazing. Like when you look at the, the makeup again of the company, you know, you've got, you've got two, well, they're all entrepreneurs. All three of them are entrepreneurs. The, 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 the one who creates all the beverages, you know, he's a farmer. He lives up in Northern Idaho. Um, and he's a savant. I don't think I've met anyone in my entire career that can develop and design beverages the way this guy's name is Travis Potter. I've never seen it. You know, we kind of call him internally as Willy Wonka. He just does some amazing, (laughs) amazing things. I've never seen it before, but he's complimented by the other two founders who had a business, a very specific business background in, you know, raising capital and putting management teams together. And they all kind of came together, but then they come to me and they're just like, Hey, look, we're launching a beverage company. You've run beverage companies. We need some help on that. And I and I just really lean into this, John, because in light with what you said, too, about, you know, standing back and letting people just, you know, rise to the occasion with their talents, it just takes so much humility. It takes so much humility to be like, hey, I'm not good at this. This isn't my strength. Let someone else shine. It's not about you. It's about the team. It's about the company. Let other people shine. So I think the hard part. The hard part there is that people who are entrepreneurial are so type A personality that we get a little prideful sometimes and we feel like it could be a threat to you that somebody else may be better at something. But it's like if you're the owner and founder, how can you be threatened? You know, unless you are giving away too much or you're you're not structuring things safely for yourself. But if you're not surrounding yourself with people who are more intelligent than you in certain ways, at least and people that you trust to do the job you hired them for, then you need to hire somebody to do hiring for you because you're not good at it. Because that's that should be the whole goal there. I don't want, as an owner of the company, I don't want to be the smartest man in the company. I want a smarter woman or a smarter man next to me saying, hey, let's go this route because I know this is going to work better. Like that's That's how I'm going to make more money. Because if I could be a millionaire off of what I was doing by myself, 
then I'd be a millionaire right now. I need a team around me that can lead us to success. So I think that that setup is great. It's it's good to hear that you had three founders that knew, hey, here's how we're going to tackle this together, us three, and then here are the people that we're going to put in place to make us successful. And it's so much easier to be super successful for your company when you have an ownership stake in it. Because if you feel like you're making money, not only for the company and for the people who own it, but you're one of the owners, so you're making money for yourself and then being able to pay the people that you employ, it's a great feeling. You know, I had that conversation with a friend of mine that owns a company and it was like, I just, I I can't seem to motivate this guy to do something, you know, to be better, to be greater. And then it was like in this one company, but in this other company that him and I own together, he's amazing. He's just slacking over here. And my first question was, then why doesn't he own part of that company that he's technically slacking in? You know, because he's focusing all of his energy over here on the company he's a part owner in. That's natural. Of course he is. So it's like, give your people, even if it is just a small ownership stake through stocks, give your people something so that they can take that pride and ownership in what they do for your company. John, I don't know if you know this and, you know, I don't know um, about uh, maybe about four or five months ago. Um, a big initiative at Tractor was to make everybody in the company an owner. Everyone in the company. Everyone is an equity holder in the company. Everybody, right? So from the least paid to the person who's just doing, um, you know, um, work that sometimes might be overlooked, yet is the most important work to making the company work. My point was simply like, They're putting in as many hours as I am. I'm the CEO of the company. They're working as hard as I am. They need to feel the pride that their work is being recognized. And I think the best way you can do that is making them an owner of the company, which again was something very supportive of our board, very supportive of the founders. But I'm right with you, man. Like I would love to see more companies lean into this. Like, you know, again, this gets more into the philosophical kind of um, construct of the conversation of just like greed. You know, I'm a big believer and I tell this to even, you know, friends that have thriving, thriving companies. It's like, how much do you really need at the end of the day and share it, share it, allow them to partake in the win because they're putting in there. You're asking them to take time away from the family. Some of, you know, the people who work at Tracker are working weekends. They're working at night. I'm aware of this. But you do you do look at it differently when you do have equity and when you do have ownership. You realize, and there's pride in that, man. There's pride in knowing, like, hey, I'm doing this, but I'm doing it because it's my company, you know. And this was kind of a big um, a big change. I mean, I had a lot of people reach out to me. Like, it was funny. A lot of friends were like, "Wow, you made everybody an owner in the company." I'm like, "I sure did." And I go, "I encourage you to do the same thing." Well, but 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 there are no buts. There is way there are there are ways around it, especially when you're small. And you're small as an entrepreneur and you start looking at the people next to you, man, who are putting in the grind. I just feel like the virtue of justice dictates that you should be doing that. You should be bringing people up with you. you know. And again, I know every company is different. I know it's hard. But what isn't hard? Just because it's hard doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. You can find ways to do it. But I'm a big believer in that, man, equitizing your employees, making them owners. So when it comes to Tractor Beverage, where do I find your product and how do I order? Are you guys looking 
only for distributors, you know, where you're going to be in restaurants or uh, stores? Do y'all take your clients on directly? Are you looking for customers to come to the website and order? You know, what, what kind of model are you set up on there? Yeah, let me give you a little just kind of um, background. So, you know, we're pouring in, in 50 states um, in over, I think we're about 6,000 locations, 81 million drinks a year. That's what we're serving right now. Um, but like, you know, the restaurant chains, obviously a big, um, a big launch for us, a launching pad was when we, when we um, started to uh, pour in Chipotle. So, you know, that's 3,000 locations. We're in all the Chipotles in America. But, you know, we're in a bunch of other locations as well. Um, there's Snoop, there's Tim Hortons, um, you know, Bird Call. Uh, we're in a lot of college and universities. It's another thing that's a really fascinating. You know, I think when people think of food service beverages, they only think of the restaurant chains. But then you start thinking of like um, corporate America in huge, huge buildings, right? And huge office buildings and hospital systems. And colleges and universities has been a big one for us. You know, you have parents paying tuition for their students. They want a better for you option, you know, or another choice than just soda. So, you know, we're, we're building across the entire channel. It's not just in the restaurants. We're going into corporate B&I. We're going into... Uh, universities, hospital systems, and then obviously the restaurant chains. As well. It's amazing how starting off this show, I didn't think that I was familiar with your company. And then you mentioned Chipotle and it's like, okay, well I've had your product then. Torchies. So, you got a Torchies <laughs> you? I've been to Torchies. Absolutely. No, I think Torchies. the origin story of Torchies is out of Austin, Texas, isn't it? Yeah. And I met the CEO at a, at a conference and that guy, I hope you can get him on. He is, He's, you talk about a maverick, just a maverick CEO and an entrepreneur. Like, um, you're just, you're kind of around him and, and you just get inspired hearing his story, how he began. Like, and for us, it was a huge honor. Like, for, for us at Tractor, that was a huge badge because we see Torchies growing at such a, you know, at such a fast rate. But, you know, what they're doing and the concept that they're creating is just, um, it's amazing. Um, so, for us, we love being their partner, but it's also just, it was a badge for us. Like getting into Torchies was like just being partnered with them was pretty awesome. I feel that because it's, it's always a huge honor for me when I have a super successful company on my show as well. You know, of course I am very interested in the mom and pop shop. I'm interested in the husband and wife team or the solopreneur, the one who's out there hustling, grinding every single day, pouring their own cash into what they're doing. I love having those people on. And I would say that's my first priority. But after that, it's always amazing too, for those listeners that are business owners or thinking about becoming business owners, to be able to hear people like you, who are a part of a very successful company, to hear people um, like venture capitalists that I've had on the show. And then, yes, I would love to have somebody, you know, the CEO of Torchies on the show. I want to have, I want to have people who have very successful multi-billion dollar companies. I mean, I'll talk to Jeff Bezos. I'll talk to whomever. Like I would love to have Elon Musk on the show because even though that's not my main focus, the lessons you can learn from those people in order to build yourself to that point and get to that level are absolutely priceless. And to be able to bring that to my audience and then to learn those lessons myself too, it's always an honor. I love talking to people like y'all who are, are very successful, who are out there killing it. 
And I hope it just inspires the other business owners or solopreneurs that are kind of on that path themselves. So it, it's really exciting to me to, to know that I've actually had your product now because I'm, I'm going to be honest, I was so busy. I had no time to research this one. And then of course, speaking with Morgan and getting you booked through her and, and all that stuff, like totally different story for us. I wasn't a hundred percent familiar with who was on the show. I just kind of trust those people when they throw themselves out to me. So. John, I love what you said, and I think it's really important for your audience. Um, you said something really profound about um, it would be great, you know, talk to Bezos, Musk, um, Cook from Apple, like all the big names. I think they're great. But the backbone, the very backbone of America, it's the backbone, is all of the small business owners. And to be very clear with you, personally, I've learned more from them than the Titans. The Titans, great. You read because they have they have the ability to get the press. But it's the people that are in the trenches every day that when you ask them, like, how long have you been in business? 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. And then you say, How did you, how did you, how did you stay in How did you make it through COVID? You want to talk about an amazing story? Like, talk to small business owners that grinded through COVID, that didn't have a huge bank account to pull them through COVID. And then you start getting like these nuggets of wisdom. Right. And what they all come back to, again, is just two things. One is they knew exactly what their mission was. Right. Just razor sharp. on just like, this is what we do. We're not going to try to go off on a different path. And the other thing was just the commitment not to fail. And that's what I'm saying about grit. I think so much of this with entrepreneurship is how many people literally finally get to the dance. They finally get there. And they, they get hit with one more, you know, one more hit of just like, oh, I just don't know if I can do this. And they fail because they give up at the very end. And, you know, when you when you meet small business owners, they just possess such a fortitude because they've had to do it. And look, I, I you know, I, I did a little research on your podcast. and I love the fact that you're doing this because you're reaching out to to the lifeblood. The lifeblood of America is small business. If you ever got to go back to season one of the show when it was called the beef podcast and, and you listen to the intro on that and it said exactly what you're saying, small businesses are the backbone of America and the amount that fail within the first five years is disheartening because small business does make up the most of employment, the most of, you know, the tax money that's coming in, like small businesses are taking the brunt of everything and those big guys, like you said, the Titans, they're the ones who, yeah, they've got kind of that success. As you said, they've got the media attention, all that stuff, but it's, they're not the ones who are truly driving the company. They're very nice or the country. They're a very necessary part of the country. And I am not going to devalue what they mean to our society as a whole, but those small business owners really do a lot for our country. And, um, you know, before we start wrapping things up here, I think it's important too to know that we can always learn from each other. So where is it that I can go to follow you, to follow the company, kind of know what's going on and uh, just keep in touch with, with you and, and what you have going on out there. Yeah, we're look, we're on all the social handles. So everything, you know, Facebook, TikTok, um, Instagram, um, Snap, um, for the younger generation, LinkedIn, LinkedIn's a big one for us because we really communicate a lot of our initiatives, you know, on the business side. Um, 
but you can find us on all the social channels, um, you know, drinktractor.com website. Um, you know, as far as, you know, you and I go like, please reach out, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to share some other entrepreneurs with you and bring them, you know, bring them to you. Um, I just love what you're doing, man. I really think that this is critically important. Again, I am not someone who is, um, taken by, you know, all the big names and all the big things. I think this, I love this, that you're, you're focused on highlighting people and companies that, man, they're just trying to make this all work, you know? And, and again, like I said, it is, it is the, it is the backbone. It's the backbone of our country and we've got to keep on finding ways to encourage them. And look, in entrepreneurs, you know, I know it's hard. It's a really, really, really hard gig, but just don't quit. Don't give up and build, build people around you. Like just build a team up around you. That's better than you. That's smarter than you have the humility. I always say this about my executive leadership team. And I don't say this with false humility. I tell them it's an honor to work for them. It really is. I'm, I'm around smarter people, right? Um, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. But just keep on surrounding yourself with just just a better team, a better better group than you. It's a great philosophy just to be able to say that to serve you, to work with you, to work for you. One of the icebreaker questions I was looking at before the show was saying, what is a book that you've read recently that is super motivating or like the best book that you've ever read, the most advice you could ever take? And there's not one I can name for you specifically because I've had to read so many in the college studies that I've been doing, but servant leadership, if you just Google search servant leadership books and you find any one that you can, like leaders eat last is one that sticks out to me. That's really good. It's all about the fact that as a leader, you're not there to tell them what to do and how to do it. You're there to, show them what to do. And then when they're doing it, you're there to help them do it, to give them the resources they need to do that. So if you're not in the trenches with your people, and I don't mean physically being out there saying, okay, well, I need you to hang photos in the office today. And that means as a leader, you need to be right next to that person, hammering in nails, you know, putting screws in the wall. But I mean that you need to buy them the best drill that they need to put those screws up. You need to make sure that they have the best pictures to hang, the ones that are going to be easier for them to hang. That's going to do a better job for them. It's going to be safe and not cause them injuries. You need to make sure they have ladders. Like you're the one who should be setting them up for success and then saying, go get it. And so servant leadership, that was something that stuck out to me because you said it's a pleasure to work for you. And that's exactly the type of leader that you need. I can see why they chose to have you as CEO of Tractor Beverage. John, look, man, we could go another hour on that because I, man, like, you know, I think that again, there needs to be a titanic shift in thinking. So many CEOs, they think they have these people working for them and it really is your, you as a CEO, you're working for them. You are working for them. I have a huge responsibility, right? To make sure that obviously we have a fiduciary responsibility to our shareholders, um, but I have a huge responsibility to our employees that this is a thriving company, that they can put bread on the table. Look, I shared with you, you know, growing up with not a lot of money, not having money, right? It's a huge responsibility, but it's a shift when you start thinking on, I wake up in the morning and I'm working for them. They're not working for me. I have to do something for them every day. 
It's not, it's not the other way around. And once you start getting that kind of mind shift going on, and this gets back into giving them ownership of the company. It's like, we're in this together. We work alongside each other. Get over the titles. Leave your ego at the door. Get over the titles. We work together to win. That's what we're focused on, winning together. So anyway, it's a longer conversation. Hey, winning is what it seems like Tractor Beverage is doing. And I can't thank you enough for taking your time. We're definitely going to have to continue this conversation, maybe on a second episode or getting you over to Business Growth Hacks, another awesome podcast that Beefy Marketing brings to you on our channel right here, anywhere you get your podcasts. I believe that show goes out every Monday. I might be wrong on that. I have to you know, edit that out later if I am. If not, then you'll hear all of this. But uh, it's been a great conversation. So thank you for coming on the show and thank you for being a part of this thing. John, and thank you for your service as a fireman. Um, I think um, that the audience hears this. I know this is you're doing this inside, but um, you're on the front line. So like I look at my my job, I'm selling beverages. You are on the front lines, saving lives and being at the service of, um, of all of us. So thank you for all the hard work. Thank the men and women that you work for on behalf of Tractor Beverages. You know, we honor you and uh, we're very grateful for all that you do for us. So thank you. On behalf of my coworkers and firefighters across the country and across you know the entire globe, I can tell you that we absolutely love to hear it. We appreciate it, but it is, you know, servant leadership is ingrained into us and that is our job. You know, it, it's a, it, it can be a thankless job and we're okay with that. It's not why we're in it. So we are absolutely happy to be able to serve our public and our, our territories every single day. So I appreciate that. We're grateful for you. Thanks, John. Thanks for your time. Yes, sir. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Small Business Origins. I can't thank you enough for supporting these entrepreneurs on this show every single week, anywhere you get your podcasts every single Thursday with a new episode and a new company. But as always, that's been another episode for us. And we'll see you on the next one and stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it.